I thank God for this wonderful privilege to be with God's people in Manila on this very first, on this Sunday. Praise God. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering for what he's doing in this house and what he has accomplished over the last three days at IDC 2024? My wife and I, we consider this as a privilege that we were able to come and spend time with the CCF family. You know, CCF is... CCF and IDMC, we are very similar in our DNA, and we have great respect for CCF leadership, and I'm thankful to the Lord for Pastor Peter and Sister Diona for their love and their affection to us and for this wonderful privilege. I also thank the Lord for the CCF pastoral team, and many of them I met uh, in previous years, but this today, a lot of them for the first time. I'm so blessed with all of their preachings. And shall we give the Lord a clap offering for pastors in CCF? Wonderful. I don't take this lightly, but I'm thankful that the Lord has given us this privilege. As Pastor Edmund always says, we don't stand here because we have to say something. We stand here because we believe that God has something to say to his church. So this morning, uh, this afternoon, I pray that the Lord will speak to our hearts. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I pray that you open our eyes and give us listening ears and a heart that is willing to obey your word. I acknowledge your sovereignty over our lives. And even in this moment, we arrest every spirit, every heart, every mind under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. And you be our teacher, mighty God. We give you glory in Jesus' name and people of God said, amen. Praise God. You know, a story was told of three ministers of the gospel. These are three Bible college students. They are just being trained to become ministers in their own faith. So they are close friends. One was an Anglican minister. The other is a Baptist minister. And the third one is a Jewish rabbi. He's getting trained to be a Jewish rabbi. So all three got together. And one day they were talking about this. They said, before we are launched into full-time ministry, before we go and take our congregation, you know, we need to have some practice. Just like David, before he fought Goliath, he practiced on a bear, on a lion. So why don't we go into the forest and try to convert a bear and then make it part of our church congregation? Then, you know, then we will know that we are getting ready for the ministry. So all three made a decision, they went to the wilderness. A week later, or a day later, they were supposed to come back and talk about the experience. The Anglican minister said, I went, I found a bear, I shared uh, the gospel, and then I sprinkled, the bear accepted, I sprinkled, confirmed, and joined the church. The Baptist minister said, yes, I went and shared the gospel, the four laws with the, with the bear. And then I fully immersed the bear and baptized and they joined the church. Fantastic. When they looked at the Jewish minister, he was wrapped in bandages. His shirt was torn. There were scratches all over. It was completely in a mess. They said, what happened to you? He said, the bear mauled me. I shouldn't have started with circumcision. In other words... First things first, what do we do first? Matters. You know, in the book of Joshua, God is putting certain priorities in the lives of his children of Israel. And it's for our own instruction that we can learn from this passage of scripture 
What are the first things that God want to put in our place? Because as you heard in the previous session in, from Pastor Ed, it is about prioritizing. It is about knowing the difference between urgent and important. Because many times we are caught up with things that are urgent rather than what is important. But God always deals with his people in a similar manner. He always takes time to undergird in our lives what things that are important. So I love this book of Joshua because it speaks about first things first. The book of Joshua is an interesting book because in Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45, there is a specific verse. I want you to read it with me. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The book of Joshua is about the promises of God being fulfilled in the lives of God's people. How many of you can say thankful to the Lord for that? Yeah, you say amen. The Lord is faithful to fulfill his promise. All the promises that the Lord made to the household of Israel came to pass. Nothing failed. So the book of Joshua is about God fulfilling his promises to his people. But the book begins with a funeral and ends with three funerals. My question to me is, when I study this, why would God begin a book with funeral and end with three funerals when it's about the people of God possessing the promises? It's an exciting adventure of faith. But why would God do that? It begins with the funeral of Moses and then it ends with the funeral of Joshua and the high priest and then Joseph's bone being buried in the land of Canaan. Now, why would God do this? The key question, the question, the answer to this is that God wanted to show to his people that even though the people that he promised to may not be around, God is faithful to fulfill his promises in the coming generation. And the people of God said, amen. That God is faithful to fulfill whether the people that he promised to is there or not. God is able to fulfill. That's why I believe with all my heart, if you're here as a person believing and trusting God for the fulfillment of promises, even if you're not around, God will still fulfill what you have prayed for in the lives of your family. And the people of God said, amen, amen. The book of Joshua can be divided into five sections. The first part is the chapter one. It deals with commission. Chapter two to chapter four deals with the crossing over. It's the commission of Joshua and the crossing over into the promised land. They were in the wilderness for nearly 40 years and God now says it's time for you to go into the promised land and possess the promises of God. Chapter five deals with one word called consecration. In other words, he wants to prepare the hearts of the people before he takes them into the promises and fulfills the promise upon their life. In chapter 6 to chapter 12, he deals with the conquest, beginning with Jericho. And finally, from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 24, it deals with covenant. God is able to keep his promises and fulfill the promises that he made to the children of Israel by distributing the land. Praise God. As I look at this text, there's one thing that I'm reminded of. Chapter 6 begins with the conquering of the land the conquest of Jericho. But chapter five is a transitional chapter. And in this transitional chapter, God takes time to consecrate two groups of people. One is the community. In the first 12 verses, he consecrates the community of believers. 
And from verse 13 to verse 15, he consecrates the commander. In other words, he deals with Joshua's heart. Now, these two are significant for us. But for this morning, this afternoon's meditation, I want to focus on the first 12 verses in the book of Joshua. And I pray that as a church, that God will continue to speak to us even as we celebrate his faithfulness in this year, 2024. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Lord will use this as a significant prophetic word to do the things that he needed to do within our hearts as we wait for the Lord to fulfill all the promises he has for us in this year, 2024. There are three things I find in the first 12 verses. The first thing is that in verse 3 and verse 10 and verse 12, there are three things that God does in the lives of his children. First thing is, he asks them to circumcise. The second thing he says is, keep the Passover in verse 10. And in third thing, he asks them to, uh, to not only, there was something about the manna. The manna stopped flowing from heaven. There are three things. Now, when I think about this question, how does God accomplish the consecration of his people? These three things play a vital role. And I believe God does even in our own lives, in our own pilgrimage, three, three things. The circumcision, the Passover, and manna. So let's look at it one by one. Verse 3 says, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. I want you to think about this. What does this represent? It represents a moment of trust. How does God consecrate his people before he brings them into possessing all that he has for them? He brings them through a moment of trust. Circumcision represented that they need to learn to trust God fully. How many of you realize that before God can help us inherit all the promises that he has for us, there must be a place where he circumcises our heart so that we can fully surrender and trust him. Do you believe that? Amen. The Bible says in verse one, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted with fear and there was no longer any spirit left in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Bible says, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons. In other words, the Bible specifically mentions the background. They had crossed into the promised land. There are kings of the Amorites, kings from the Canaanite kingdoms, their hearts are melting in fear. And the children of Israel are valiant at this time because they have just experienced a greatest miracle. God has brought them out of the wilderness into the promised land. They are ready to possess the promised land. But then God says, first things first, I want you to circumcise. Now when I think of this, this is a strategic military opportunity to go into the promised land and when the enemy kingdoms and the kings are weaker in their heart, there's no courage, this is the time to strike first, strike hard, and show no mercy. 
just like that movie, Karate Kid. But what God does here is he surprises them. At that time, the Bible says, the Lord says to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise. See, many times, the things that God wants to do in our life may not seem right in our eyes. We may not understand fully why this needs to take place right now. See, if I look at this text, there are at least three things that seems wrong in my humble opinion. If I was Joshua, I would have said to the Lord, Lord, I see, I see these three things as wrong. Number one, this is not the right time. This is the wrong time. In other words, the enemy's heart is weaker. The enemy's heart is fearful. And I am, all our people are actually quite strong. They are excited. They are ready for warfare. They are ready to take possession. Right now, if you ask us to circumcise, what happens is my men will be weaker and my women will be vulnerable and children will be vulnerable for the attack of the enemy. What would happen? I would have reasoned with God. But the Bible says Joshua didn't reason. See, for 40 years, we were wandering in the wilderness. This is the wrong place. For 40 years, we were wandering in the wilderness. If you had asked us to circumcise in the wilderness, no one would come and attack us. But now we are right in the heart of the neighbor, you know, the neighboring cities. The kings are waiting for an opportunity when we will be vulnerable. So, Lord, this is the wrong place. Not only that, it is the wrong people. In other words, circumcision began in Genesis 17 where God asked those eight-day-old babies to be circumcised. That's what the Jewish tradition is. Only eight-day-old babies get circumcised. But here the Lord says, all the men of warfare, men who were born in the wilderness, they are from 20-year-olds all the way to 40-year-olds. They are our warriors. So if they get circumcised, they will not be ready for battle for a few weeks because they need to be healed. So we will be vulnerable. I would have said all these three things, but the Bible says Joshua said nothing. Wrong time, wrong place, wrong people. Joshua said nothing. He just says, I obey what the Lord had said. You know, I remember in the year 1998, I was about 21 years old. And the Lord laid in my heart that the Lord is calling me to another nation to go and serve him. So my parents prayed for me and released me. And this is what happened. I applied all over the world to study in a Bible college. But the Lord closed every door and opened a door in Singapore. And the Singapore Bible College gave me a scholarship to come and study. So because they gave a scholarship, I was able to come and study. And my parents were generous enough to pay for my airfare. And then for my pocket money, they gave me $100. And they said this to me, from here on, if God provides, you eat. If God doesn't provide, you die, go see him. <laughs> and ask him. So with $100, I landed in Singapore as an extra money. That's all I had. The first weekend, I was, I, was, I, I was there on a Friday. Saturday, I bought an MRT card. 
MRT card is like a travel card. And it was $20. The friend in the, the school campus said, you need this. So I've got $20. Now it's $80 in my pocket. $80 is nothing. I'm here in a new country, in a new people group. I don't know anybody. $80. Next day was Sunday. Went to church. And while I was worshiping, I was saying to the Lord, Lord, thank you all. Thank you, Father, bringing me here. I know you're going to bless me. I know you're going to use me. I want you to prepare my heart, prepare my life. And after that, they had an announcement. The announcement was, we are building a building. We have a renovation of an old building. We, have, we want this money. So it's one million something something, and the last two digits was eight zero. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, that eight zero is in your pocket. I almost said, get behind me. Because it's not. How can God take everything from me? Cannot. So I took $10 and I said, Lord, this is more than a tithe. And I gave it at the offering bag and I quietly sat there. But the Holy Spirit's presence was so strong and he was trying to arrest my attention. I couldn't. I started crying. I started crying. And as I was crying, the Holy Spirit said, obey. I took all the $70, walked. Now the offering bag has already gone to the front. So I ran to the front and put in the offering the $70, turned around and kept, I came back to my seat. I was weeping. The Bible says, give cheerfully. I wept. But later on, I was comforted. The Bible says, he who sows in tears will reap with joy. I'm thankful. Doesn't matter whether you cry or you don't cry. You laugh, you don't laugh. You give when he says you do. You obey him. I put it in. I came back, I sat in my seat and I was crying and I said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to be fed the next day. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? From this day onwards, up to now, your parents have provided for you. But this day onwards, I lay hold of your life. From here on, I'm your sponsor. Oh, hallelujah. 25 years later, I can testify this clearly, that the Lord is faithful. But why does he ask me to do that? It seemed like wrong place, wrong time, and wrong people. Why would he ask me to do that? The only reason he asked me to do that is because before you can walk into what he has prepared for you, he needs to learn to deal with the condition of your heart. Do you trust him? Will you obey him? See, listen to me carefully. The circumcision was an external sign for something that needs to take place in their heart. Let me give you the principle. Circumcision deals with the consecration of our heart. In other words, whether we will lay down our heart before God and say, Lord, my heart belongs to you. I want to trust you fully. I want to give myself fully to you. Consecration deals, circumcision deals with the consecration of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16, the Bible says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. In other words, don't be stubborn when God calls you to trust him. 
Don't be stubborn when he says to you, forgive that person. Don't be stubborn when he says, go back to that difficult relationship. Don't be stubborn when he says, stay in this place, even though there is barrenness, stay here and I'll bless you. Don't be stubborn, but let the Lord circumcise your heart so that your heart is ready to trust him fully. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5 and verse 6 says this. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that he has promised your forefathers that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And the people of God said? Come on, one more time. And the people of God said? Amen. How many of you would say, Lord, circumcise my heart so that in the year 2024, I will love you more. In the year 2024, I will trust you more. In the year 2024, I will lay hold of your promise and I will see the fulfillment of what you have spoken concerning my life. Why? Because I want to I live for you. I want to glorify you in my life. The principle is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The key word in this, what is the key word in this, in this words? What is the key word? Trust and acknowledge. But can I humbly say this? Those two are not the key words. The key word is that one word, all, that is repeated twice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Hallelujah. Now, why is this so important? Why is trusting God and obeying God is so important in every season and especially allowing him to circumcise our heart? In the nation of Israel, there was a reproach upon their life. The Bible says in verse 8 and verse 9, Read this with me. The Bible says, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in their camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. You know, many people's lives are plagued by reproach. In other words, there's a shame, there is a guilt, there is a reproach of the past failures. What is the reproach of Egypt? The reproach of Egypt is that they didn't obey God and obey his voice. Forty years ago when God said to them, do this, they refused. Look at this in verse 6. In verse 6 it says... For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. You and I need to learn to obey the voice of God. When? Immediately. Not only immediately. We need to learn to obey the voice of God gladly. Not only that. We need to learn to obey the voice of God fully. Immediately. Gladly and fully. But the Bible says here, they didn't. And as a result, they carried a reproach. 
and that reproach was a stumbling block in their life and God says today I remove that reproach why because you circumcised you allowed me to deal with your heart condition and remove that reproach from you hallelujah and I believe with all my heart God does the same thing in our lives because he desires that there is consecration in our heart secondly there was a moment of thanksgiving the bible says that they were asked to celebrate the passover and this passover is called the moment of thanksgiving why why i would call it the moment of thanksgiving is because this is a moment where god is reminding them of his faithfulness in their life i want you to think about this the bible says in verse 10 while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the plains of Jericho. See, when you read the scriptures, I want you to follow the divine order of things. Firstly, he says, circumcise the nation. Secondly, he says, now celebrate the Passover. Because the Bible actually says, if you haven't been circumcised, you cannot actually celebrate the Passover. Look at this in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 48. It says, if a stranger sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. In other words, no, uns no circumcision, no Passover. Now what does circumcision and Passover represent? For us as Christians, circumcision is that when God circumcises our heart and gives us the grace to believe in the work of Jesus, that we acknowledge that through our own works we cannot be saved, that we can only be saved when we trust in Jesus. My, I come before God and I remove my flesh and I ask the Lord, Lord, I trust you fully in what Jesus is going to do, what Jesus has done for my life. What does Passover represent? Passover also represents Christ, the Bible says. The Bible says that he is the one who died for our sin. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we who do not know righteousness can become the righteousness of God. He took our place so that we can take his place. He died for us so that we can live for him. Can you say amen? The Passover represents what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus has become our Passover. So here for the children of Israel, it's a Passover, it's a reminder. For 400 years, they have been slaves in Egypt. But there was one moment where God intervened in history and says, today is your day of deliverance. And on that day, the Lord instituted that they celebrate a Passover. What is a Passover? They take an innocent animal, they bring it into the house, and on the 14th day of the month, they, they slit the throat, they, the blood gushes everywhere. They take that blood and they apply it on the doorposts of the house. They take the meat of that lamb, they roast it in fire inside the house and they partake it together. In other words, here's a blood that has been shed and there is a meat that you partake of. What does it symbolize? It symbolizes for us as believers the body of Jesus that was wounded for us and the blood of Jesus that has been shed for us. How many of you are grateful to the Lord for the blood and the body of Jesus? Hallelujah. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering? Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
that everything for us becomes, everything for us is possible. The promises of God are yes and we say amen in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross. That Passover lamb reminds us of only one thing. When we keep the Passover, it reminds us one thing, that the innocent has died so that the guilty can go free. The innocent died. He took my place so that I can take his place. He who knew no sin became sin so that I can become the righteousness of God. He was cursed with the curse of the law so that I can be blessed with the blessing that God promised Abraham. He took my place of shame. I take his place of honor. I want you to listen to me carefully. He carried all our sicknesses and our diseases upon his own body. And by his wounds, the Bible says, you and I are healed. And the people of God said, amen. That's what the Passover represents. The Passover represents for us that we don't actually qualify for the blessing of God. It is a pure grace upon our lives. And that means it should put within our hearts that sense of gratitude. Lord, I don't qualify in the natural. I cannot claim to to be deserving of this blessing. But Lord, because of who you are and because of what you have done for me, I'm therefore grateful to receive. And that's why the Passover is celebrated annually. Why do they celebrate it? Because they want to give thanks to what God has done. That gratitude glorifies God. That's what he does with our lives. He wants to help us to come before God and to say, Lord, I don't deserve. I'm not blessed because I'm good. I'm blessed because you are good. How many of you can say amen to that? One of the most important things that you and I need to recognize is this, that the Lord Jesus has done so much for you and me. That as people of God, we come before him and we say, Lord, I thank you that you have taken me and you're doing, you have, you have brought me through these circumstances in the past and you have been faithful in my life in the past. And even now in the future, I can trust you that you will be faithful. And the people of God said, amen. I remember the time when I applied for visa. I I shared this story in in, at the IDA, IDC. My wife and I, we met in bridal college, Bible college. On the 16th day, she, had, she looked at me and she said, Paul, I cannot live without you. I want to marry you. So on the 16th day, she proposed. And I said, yes, I will marry. Now, for the first time, I want to travel to Australia to go and ask for her father's permission in order to date the daughter and one day marry her. So I applied for a visa to Australia in Singapore. I'm there on a student visa with an Indian passport. Now, Indian passport surely will not be accepted to go to Australia. Secondly, being a student, they would never give me an opportunity. So people around me said, please don't apply. Why? Because if you apply, it may be rejected. And if it's rejected and your passport is rejected, it would be very difficult for you to one day go to Australia. But because I wanted to go and ask the father's permission, I applied. Sure enough, 
A few days later, when I went to collect it, they showed me that my passport has been seen and rejected. There was a stamp in my passport. Passport rejected. I collected the passport. I walked out of the Singapore Australian Embassy, the High Commission. I didn't know what to do. I was really panicking. Inside my, inside, in my life, I was thinking, Lord, did I just ruin all the chances? You are wanting to bring me into Australia. Did I just preempt this and did this and now it's gone? I walked across from the embassy. There is a botanical garden and I just walked around the botanical gardens and the only prayer that I was praying is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I prayed and I applied. I know this is the will of God for my life that you're taking me to Australia but this passport seen and rejected is no good. And the reasons they said is, one, you are an Indian. Number two, you're a student. So we don't want to give you any visa. So I walked around in the, in, in the botanical gardens praying. And I remember very clearly, the Lord speak to me and said, go back and apply now. So I went back, took the queue number, stood in the queue, and I went back to the same lady who gave me the rejection. And the lady looked at me and said, you again? And then she said, save your money. $54, lot of money, save it. You're still Indian, you're still student. It will be surely rejected, so don't apply. I said, no, 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 I wanna apply. She said, don't apply. I said, no, God says apply, so I applied. She says, no, don't apply. I said, no, 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 God says apply. Here's my money, take it. While we are going, doing this, I submit and she says no. I submit, she says no. A white Australian officer walked behind and he said, what's the commotion here? So I explained to him, I'm a Bible college student. I'm going to, there, uh, to Sydney to meet my future in-laws to ask for permission to marry their daughter. This trip, I'm not marrying this trip is just to go and ask for permission. I will surely come back and study in the Bible college, but next time I will migrate. This time is just going there to ask for permission. He looked at me and he said, hmm, I don't know, just wait. Then he went to speak to his supervisor. He came back and he said, okay, come and collect the passport tomorrow. Your visa is granted. Same day, what was rejected was overturned. I remember this so clearly. Why this was important is because when I landed and asked for the father's permission and I got the permission so I can date the daughter and one day marry her. Wonderful. This is the place God has for me. God has graciously did this. Now the second visa I need to get. We need to get married. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly, to my wife and I, that we need to get married on this specific day the following year. And it will be in Sydney. So it was decided it will be married, the marriage on the 25th of March in the year 2000. And then there are two ways I discovered you can come to get married. One, you come in as a visitor or a student and then you come in and get married and then later on work towards shifting the, the, the visa. Or the other way is 
prospective spouse visa. But I went before the Lord and asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to me, go and apply for prospective spouse visa. So I said, okay. I went to the travel agent. I have to apply it in India. I went to the travel agent and applied. And I said, you know, I want, I want to go to Australia. I'm getting married on the 25th of March, 2000. And can you apply for me? He said, what category? Prospective spouse. He said, that category doesn't exist in India. I said, why? Because if it exists, half of India will be in Australia. <laughs> so I said, no, but this is what the Lord says, apply. So he took it. He said, let me apply. He applied. I received a 10-page letter from the Australian embassy in New Delhi. You know the letter says? Don't plan your wedding. Your visa will surely be rejected. You have to prove three years of genuinity of your relationship. How do you prove three years? We only knew each other for a short time. Secondly, they said you got to give us travel itineraries that you have traveled together. You have to show us photographs together. You have to show us email exchanges and proof of relationship, the genuinity of relationship. I have nothing. And then they said this, it will take us 72 weeks for us to process this visa and then your visa will either be granted or rejected. 72 weeks. The date that God gave us to get married was only about 26 weeks from the time I'm applying. We don't have 72 weeks, but we applied anyway. And then we waited. February came, no news from the embassy. One day the embassy called me and said, okay, we want you to come to New Delhi to do some medical tests. So I went to New Delhi. I met with the case officer. And the case officer said, Paul, right now it's only been about 25 weeks. The visa will not be considered at this moment. You have to wait for another whole year. I said, no, I'm getting married in three weeks. I need a visa. He said, no, it won't happen. So he sent me back. I came back. But then he called me again. And he said, we made a mistake. Not all the medical tests was done, so one test is missing, so you got to come back and do it. And this time I went back to see him again, to do the medical test and to see him. You know what he said to me? Paul, it has only been 26 weeks. We cannot give you a visa. Don't plan your wedding. I said, no, I'm getting married in a few weeks. Now the date is 3rd of March. 3rd of March. In 22 days, I'm getting married. He said, no, it won't, be hap it won't happen. Based on what you have provided, there is no proof. Your visa will be rejected. Guess what happened? I kept him in the room. I kept telling him the same thing. The Lord told me to get married on this day. The Lord told me I should go there and get married on this day. So all I need is, your, is a visa. Here's my wedding invitation. <laughs> he stayed in the room, dialoguing with me for nearly 40 minutes until his supervisor walked in and said, what is happening? He should be meeting other people. Why is he here for so long? And the man said, this man is not letting me go. He keeps asking. So I said to him, hey, just give me the visa. I need to go get married. The Lord told me this is the day I'll get married. He went and spoke to his supervisor. 
He comes back 10 minutes later, throws the file on the desk. I don't know what happened. The supervisor says, give you the visa. Let's give Jesus a clap offering. Come on. Hallelujah. He gives me the visa. And he says, come and collect it in the afternoon. 3rd of March, the year 2000. I get the visa. They said to me, come and collect it in the afternoon. Now, this is what I did. I took my father, my mother, my sister. They have three passports. And I said, I need visa for these three. (laughs) My wife is inviting 300 people. I invite only three people. I need them to come. And he said, you know, it was a big miracle for you to get a visa. Surely your father, your mother, your sister will not get it. I said, if God did it for me, he can do it for. If he did a, did a rejection and overturned the same day, he can do it again. Because it's not by my works, it's not by my faith, it is by his grace. He will do it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Guess what he did? He wanted to get me out of that room. So he said to me, why don't you go outside stand in the queue, come back in and submit the three passports. And once you submit the three passports, we will give you the visa for all three. So I went out. I took all my passports and I ran outside. When I went outside, I realized there are about three to 400 people waiting in the queue to get inside. And the time for collection of passports, submission of passport, is only in the morning up to 12.30. And the time now is 12.25. Because I kept him that long from morning. I was there standing at the back. I started praying. I said, Lord, I surely want these three to be with me. I don't deserve this, but I know that you have a plan. I know that you have promised me. I know that you are faithful. Show me what I need to do. And the Lord quickened in my heart to go and speak to the the guard, the security guard there. So I went to him. I said, look, that number, my number, too far. Because we are from the south. South and north, we have a great divide. The north speaks a different language to the south. So he couldn't understand me. So I kept telling him the same thing. I want to go in. I want to submit three passports. The Lord told me to get married. I want three people in my wedding. The father, mother, sister. All three, I need visa. He was scolding me in Hindi. And he said to me, go back to the line. Everybody wants to go in. I said, Lord, you have to do something. I just stayed there and asked him one more time, please. He took the token that I had, the number that I had, tore it, put it in the basket. My heart sank. I said, Lord, what happened here? Then he closed the register and he had a token there. He took it and he gave it to me. And when I took that token and I saw the number displayed, it's the same number. Wow. And he says to me, go in. 1229, I went in. The case officer saw me and he goes, what? How did you get in here? I said, the Lord, Father, My mother, my sister, I need the passport, I need the visa. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to listen to me carefully. 
When you are brought to a moment of trust, God circumcises your heart so that you would trust him wholeheartedly. But when you are blessed, you recognize it is not because of my works. It is by his grace. I don't qualify in the natural, but he helps me. Why? Because he has a plan. He has a purpose. That's why people of God, we need to be so grateful. We are grateful because we are not blessed because we are good. We are blessed because God is good. Can you say amen? And he does what he pleases. That's why we shouldn't take God for granted. We should have a grateful heart constantly. And we need to keep asking the Lord, Lord, help me. I love a verse in the Bible, Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, if it is by works, then it's no longer by grace. And if it is by grace, then it can be no longer by works. We both are mutually exclusive. If you trust in your works and your ability, then you would void the grace of God. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we trust. Yes, we do the best we can. But at the end of the day, our orientation should be, Lord, it is by your grace. Salvation begins by trusting in his grace. All that he wants to do in our lives happens because we trust in his grace. How many of you can say amen to that? Praise God. Come on, let's give Jesus a clap offering. Hallelujah. And thirdly, it is a moment of truth. One of the things that happened in the life of Israel is this. The Lord says, and the day after the Passover, on the very next day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. They ate of the fruit of the land that year. Twice the Bible says the manna ceased. And twice the Bible says it happened after they ate the produce of the land. Now why is this so important? See, in in the consecration that God wants to do in our lives, he not only brings us to a moment of trust, He not only brings us to a moment of thanksgiving where we are reminded of his past faithfulness, but he also brings us to a moment of truth. And the moment of truth is this, that God is the same in every season, but the way he works in our lives will change. So we shouldn't fall in love with the way he did things in the previous season, but we should trust him and work with him. Listen to me carefully. For 40 years in the wilderness, God fed them with manna. How many of you know what manna is? Manna, the Bible says, is a bread from heaven. In fact, in the Hebrew, the manna means, what is it? What is it? You know, and sometimes my wife comes to me and says, honey, I'm going to try a new recipe. Give me, what do you like? I want to cook for you. I usually tell her, you cook first, then we will name it. In other words, <laughs> in other words, sometimes when we, it's, it's, manna is, it's quite confusing. What is it? That's what they kept asking for 40 years. Some rabbi, rabbinal teaching says this, that some rabbis teach that manna could be whatever you desired. But look at this. Manna is a bread from heaven. God provided for his people for 40 years. 
And these people did not, in the natural, they don't qualify to receive manna. Why? Because they murmured and complained every single day. They murmured and complained, even the manna. But God was gracious for 40 years, manna was given. All they have to do is wake up and go outside and collect manna for the day. But one day, one day came when the Lord says, the manna will stop. From here on, it's no longer manna. From here on, I will feed you with the produce of your own hands, the produce of the land. There was a big change. There was a big shift that needed to take place. Listen to me carefully. What is this moment? I realized that in the life of the children of Israel, God was so merciful. If you and I were God, what would you do? If people are always complaining and murmuring and, and they don't want to obey you fully, they rebel. If I were God, I would have said to the angels, today, no more manna, stop manna. Let them starve for a few days. Then they will repent. Then they will come back to God. But you know what the Bible says? Whether they rebelled, whether they were in, in, in unbelief, the Bible says God was faithful to keep giving them manna. How good our God is. How many of you believe that your God is so good? Come on, hallelujah. Give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. You know, in this conference, we've been talking about how good God is, how his love for us, and he calls us to love others. You know, when I talk, think about the love of God, I think like this. There are at least three aspects to the love of God I want to say and finish. One, God's love is God desiring good for man. When you talk about God's love, God actually gives you his best. He gives you, he desires good for you. Secondly, not only God desires good for men, God's love is all about God freely giving to men. In other words, we don't deserve it, yet in his love, he freely gives us all things, the Bible says. God did not spare his only son, but delivered him even unto death. Why? Because he loved us. He gave himself for us. Thirdly, God's love is, it's all about God taking delight in men. God takes delight in us. As his children, God says, I love you with an everlasting love. Therefore, he's faithful. He continues to provide. Here, the manna, the Bible says, even though they did not deserve, God blessed them with manna. And they received manna every single day. But a day came when God says, I'm no longer giving you manna, but now I'm going to give you the grace to work with your hands. And I'm going to bless the work of your hands. And the work of your hands will produce and you will eat of it. What I want to share with you is this. There's a moment of truth in our lives. Sometimes we go through a season of miracles. We are living in the miracle zone where we expect God to move on our behalf, where we are waiting on God to do something miraculous, which we can't do for ourselves. But then there is another season where it's not a season of miracles, it's a season of blessing. God has already blessed us with the wisdom we need. God has already blessed us with the grace we need. God has already blessed us with what we need to so that we can do the work and, and, and be a blessing. Whatever season you're in, the truth is this, that it is God who gives you the grace and the ability to receive. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. He is the one who gives you manna from heaven and he is the same God who gives you the strength and the wisdom and the opportunities to do the work. 
That's why psalmist said, Lord, may the, may, the, may the Lord establish the work of my hands. May the Lord bless me and establish the work of my hands so that I can be a blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18 says, it is the Lord who gives me the power to create wealth. It is God who blesses me. It is God who does that. That's why as people of God, no matter what season we are in, God is calling us, inviting us to circumcise our hearts, to continue to trust him for what he did in the past, he's able to do it again, to be filled with thanksgiving. At the same time, to recognize no matter what the season is, whether it's a season in the past or a season of blessing or a season of miracles, God is the ultimate provider. And because God is the ultimate provider, I will be faithful to serve him. I'll be faithful to love him. I'll be faithful to do his will. I'll be faithful to fulfill his command in my life. And the people of God said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a clap offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you are here and you have never placed your faith in Christ, I want you to understand this, that God is the one who sent his son Jesus. He created you and he loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to love you. Not only to love you, but to die for you. He showed by dying on the cross that he loves you and loves you fully. And he invites you to believe in him. And he says to you, if you come to me, I will circumcise your heart. What does that circumcision mean? That he will remove the heart of flesh and he will give you a heart that is soft towards him. A heart that is willing to obey him. A heart that is willing to trust him. And he will circumcise you. Not only that, the Bible says, Christ is my Passover. In other words, he's the one who died for me so that I can live. He's the one who was cursed so that I can be blessed. He's the one who took my place of sin and gave me his righteousness. I can come before him and say, Lord Jesus, I place my faith in you. I trust you that you are my Passover. It is because of you I can have a relationship with the Father. It is because of you I can come into the family of God. It is because of you my life is blessed. Therefore, I give you thanks. And not, no matter what season you are in, the truth is this. He's able to take care of you both in the moment of miracles through miracle zone and being in miracle zone. He can provide miracles in your life. At the same time, he also brings you to a place of blessing. Not only being blessed by the work of your hands, but also being a blessing to the nations. Can you say amen? It is Jesus who does all this. That's why if you're here and you have never placed your faith in Christ, today's an opportunity for you to place your faith in him an opportunity for you to grow in the grace of God. Every head bow, every eye closed all across this place. Let's pray. I want to give an opportunity for people who have not placed their faith in Christ. I want to give an opportunity for people who would say, Pastor, today I want my heart to be circumcised. I want my heart to trust Jesus. I I want to acknowledge Jesus as my savior. I want to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who died for me. I want to acknowledge that I want to live for him and I want to trust him for provision in my life. It all begins by you acknowledging him as savior. If you're the person here, when no one's looking around, would you just raise your hand to say, Pastor, it's me. I want to trust in Jesus. 
I want to receive him as my Lord, my Savior. Hallelujah. I see hands across this place. I also want to ask one more. You may be going through a season right now where God is dealing with your heart and he's circumcising your heart. Maybe you're asking questions why this seems wrong in this season. It seems wrong place, wrong time, wrong people, but God, you're working through in my life. If you're a person who's going through that situation, God is saying to you today that he is the one bringing you through that situation to circumcise your heart so you can trust him fully. If you're that person, raise your hand so that I can pray for you. There are people under the sound of my voice. You are wondering why the way God used to bless you has changed. Maybe the business that used to be a blessing stopped being a blessing. Maybe the work that you were once enjoying is no longer a joy. You're wondering what is shifting in my heart. Why the supply seems to stop. Did God change in his love for me? But what God is saying to you is, it's a moment of truth. He's bringing you into a new season. Don't fall in love with the methods that God used. Fall in love with him. Trust him so that he can lead you in the new season to work with your hands, to bless you with the opportunities, to bless you with the wisdom and bring about his purposes in your life. If you're that person, I want you to lift up your hand before the Lord. All these people who are lifted their hands, just stand wherever you are. Others may be seated. Just you, you stand. You stand. Just stand. Quickly, let's do business with the Lord. Father, for those who have raised their hand, I want to pray for you. In the name of Jesus, mighty God, I pray that Lord, that you will open their heart for the work that you're doing in their life. The season that they're in, they may not understand it fully, but I pray that you bring them to the place where you circumcise their heart so that they can love you and trust you wholeheartedly. Lord, I pray that you will accomplish the purpose for which you have brought them into that season. I pray for those who are in that season of transition, that Lord, that they will recognize the Lord loves them, that he has sustained them in the past through that, through that provision from heaven. But now God has something more, something greater, that he will bless me. He has already given me what I need for the future, that he will open the doors that no man is able to shut and grant me the grace to do his will. So I pray your blessing upon your people. I pray your blessing upon your people. And for those who are placing their faith in Christ for the first time, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord. I acknowledge Jesus as my Savior. I acknowledge that he died for my sin. And he gave me his righteousness. Today, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Accept me into your family and help me to live for you. From this day forward, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my only Lord in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Come on, let's just give Jesus a clap off. 
Good day, CCF family, and welcome to Sunday Fast Track, where you ask real-life questions and we give you biblical truths. I am Paul Devera from Big Singles Ministry, and we're here today with our speaker, Reverend Paul Jayachandran, to answer some of your questions. In your opinion, Reverend Paul, which areas of our lives are most in need of consecration by God? And why do you believe that these areas are particularly important? I think the area that God desires consecration is in the area of our motivation, in the area of our preoccupation, and the area of our contemplation. Motivation we can sometimes do things for the wrong reason. Sometimes we do things for our own glory, for our own benefit, and not because we desire His glory and what He has commanded us to do. So we need to examine the motivation, and that area needs to be consecrated. The second area is the area of preoccupation. See, it's not enough to just make Jesus prominent. We can give a Sunday to Jesus, but what happens on Monday to Saturday? We can put Jesus first and by reading the Bible first in the day. But what happens after that? Do we are conscious of the word of God? Are we conscious of his presence in our lives? In other words, what are we preoccupied with? That's the key question. So that consecration in a preoccupation, what occupies my dominant thoughts and my feelings throughout the day? That's the second one. The third thing he desires is the consecration of my contemplation, my thinking pattern, not just what I think about things, is how I think about things and what, what, what are there in my heart? What are the thoughts that, that are dwelling in my heart? These things matter. And I pray that these things, as we do it, it's the, it's the discipling of the inner life, that God changes us from the inside. And I pray that will please Him because that's what He says, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> amen, amen. Thank you, Reverend Paul, for answering out these questions. But before we go, if you're single and you're part of a D group, and if you want to serve the Lord with the gifts that He's given you, please join us at the Big Friday's Volunteers General Assembly happening on February 3, 2 to 4 p.m. at the CCF Center, Room 2A. Remember, Big Friday's will open on February 16, so save the dates. Together, let's serve and be one with God. And that's it for CCF Sunday Fast Track. God bless you.